Hi, I'm Derek T. Dingle, Executive Vice President and Chief Content Officer for Black Enterprise. Welcome to an all new episode of Boardroom Chats hosted by Nationwide. In this edition, we will discuss, among other topics, what it takes to gain and retain high-powered board positions, as well as how Black representation brings value to corporate governance. As such, I am extremely fortunate to have as today's guest, a corporate veteran who has used his strategic, operational, and financial prowess to become a powerhouse in the C-suite and the boardroom, Bertram L. Scott. He has held numerous senior leadership roles with the insurance, finance, and healthcare fields, including until his retirement in 2019, Senior Vice President of Population Health for Novant Health. And Bert previously served as President and CEO of Affinity Health Plan, President of U.S. Commercial at Signacorp, and President and CEO of TIAA Craft Life Insurance Company. A member of the BE Registry of Corporate Directors, he has served as a valued board member of Alliance Bernstein, Equitable Holdings, and Lowe's Company, among other industry giants. For Bert, being a part of the healthcare sector has meant much more than a career advancement. It's a passion and a mission that's deeply personal. As such, he is the immediate past chairman of the American Heart Association. He's also a member of the organization's board of directors, lending his insight and expertise to various committees. And for his outstanding volunteer service, he has been recognized with his award of meritorious achievement in 2015 and distinguished national leadership award in 2021. He is here today to share his journey and views on the importance of board service. Bert, welcome to uh, Boardroom Chats. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Derek, I'm excited to be with you today and looking forward to having our conversation. Well, the, the valuable part of having you on our program is because of your vast experience in corporate America, corporate governance, you can provide some guidance to uh, especially young people that are looking to get into board service. But to start, let's uh, share a bit of your career journey and what led you to board service? Well, my career began at Prudential in Chicago, where I ended a management development program. I spent about 15 years at Prudential through a number of, of assignments, including several that were pre, what I call pre-C-suite opportunities. I then left Prudential after gaining a, a valuable experience and became CEO of an HMO in New Jersey called Mercy Health Plan. I was CEO of that company for about five years and learned a lot about leadership, people, and what it really means to be a CEO. I left the HMO business shortly after that tenure and then went to work for a company called TIA, which is a financial service company in a C-suite role, first as CEO of the life insurance company, and then uh, COO fundamentally of TIA until I left it and returned with the Affordable Care Act to Cigna, where I was worldwide president for Cigna uh, for about three years. I retired briefly, thinking I was going to uh, uh, enjoy the life of, of a retiree, but then returned to be CEO of Affinity Health Plan in New York City. All of those experiences helped me understand the importance of boards, board service, and what 
what boards do to support CEOs, shareholders, as well as other stakeholders are, that are important to corporations. You know, um, before I go into board service, um, your, the companies that you worked for are either in healthcare, insurance, or financial service. Was that intentional or did that just come by, you know, kismet? Well, it was mostly kismet to be very candid. However, one of the threads through each of those is service to consumers. Whether you're in the financial service world, the HMO world, or the uh, insurance world, all of those have customers and consumers, all of which require you to treat them in a special way. So each of those assignments taught me about the importance of consumerism, listening to your customers, developing programs and services for those customers, and delivering value every day. So, um, so service has always been a, a major part of your um, business DNA and, and I would say your personal DNA, you know, in terms of, you know, looking at your background and your experience. Um, in terms of board service, share with us your, your first experience as a board member. What led you to want to be a part of the board or to be recruited to your first board? Well, board, board service seemed to be the most natural step for me in my business career. You know, we all aspire to do the next important thing in our life, and board service happened to be that next thing for me. Uh, I wanted to join a board that I felt had uh, integrity, a board that was of interest to me, because you have to be passionate about the business if you're on a board in order to be, I think, a, an effective board member. I wanted a company that I could look back on and say they add value to the world, they add value to consumers, and a board in which I can learn. Board service helps you be a better leader, frankly. And if you, if you uh, are still in your corporate career, being on a board helps you understand the dynamics between boards and management. And that was a valuable lesson for me that I wanted to learn as I, as I joined my first board. In addition, I had always admired people like Vernon Jordan and others who were pioneers for board service and hoped and wished that I could join that illustrious group as my career continued. Well, what always struck me is the, the fact that as a board member, whether you're part of the collective or an individual board member, you can have impact. You, you referenced uh, Vernon Jordan. I think of um, uh, Reverend Leon Sullivan, who was the first uh, board member of a corporate board in General Motors. And I think of our, our founder, uh, the late, you know, Earl G. Graves Sr. Um, tell me what led you to become more effective as a board member? And as people are looking at boards, what would you look at as the, the tenants? Or, you know, you, you gave us the tenants in terms of what you look for in terms of the type of companies that you want to serve. But what are the, the, the principles and, and guidance that you would give individuals in terms of being an effective board member? Well, I would say, first of all, you have to develop very acute listening skills. Board members have to be outstanding listeners, in my view. But you also have to be a vocal board member. You know, you're on that board for a reason. You brought a skill set and experience or leadership quality that made you interesting to that board and eligible for board service. So you have to bring that into the boardroom. You can't be a quiet board member. Boards are small. They're usually 10. 12, 13 board members. So your voice can be heard and is valuable. 
I would say, in addition to that, you have to want to join a board, again, as I said earlier, for which you have some passion about. Do you understand the business? You have to, you, you, your study about the board is very important. Reading all the content for all the committee meetings in advance of the board meeting. That's how you add value in a board meeting. And speaking up when you have something to say. I can't say that more. In my early days, I was a bit intimidated. I was on some boards where people were much more senior or longer tenured and with greater reputations than I perceived I had. And it, it took me a little while to find my voice in that room. But once I found that voice, I felt very comfortable using it in all situations where I thought I could add value. What was that moment where you found your voice? You, there was an issue on the table and you said, hey, I know more about this issue than the people around the table. And they can well, benefit from my, um, my, my, my sage um, advice here. Yeah, Derek, it was, I, I remember the moment, moment exactly. We were discussing diabetes care for a product that we we're about to launch on one of my boards. And I thought they were going about it completely the wrong way because I understood the consumers that were going to be experiencing the product. I also understood how, what the education for patients was going to be was needed in order for people to use the product. And I felt if I didn't speak up, we were going to have a significant misstep in our launch of the product. And frankly, I was right. Uh, and we, we adjusted the product and introduced the product in a different way, and it became quite successful. That's when I knew my voice was, was important, and that's when I knew that uh, I could engage in a way that was helpful in the boardroom. Wow, that's a, that's a great story. Um, well, actually, since we're talking about value in terms of being board, uh, boards, um, the one thing that we focus on on boardroom chats and actually our um, corporate board C-suite summit that we held um, you know, earlier this month is black representation on boards. Um, and this is a question I ask all uh, black board members and all of the guests that have been a part of boardroom chats. As a one, what do you view as the value of having black representation, specifically black representation on corporate boards? And then secondly, is there a specific obligation that Black uh, corporate directors have in speaking to issues of race, diversity, and driving that agenda, you know, um, more so than, say, other board members on a, um, a, a corporate governance? Uh, Derek, that was a terrific question. So first, let me answer the the, la the second question, do we have an obligation or responsibility to speak up in the boardroom about issues that are important to African-Americans or all people of color? And the answer is yes. If we don't speak up and bring our experience forward or talk about why it's important to have a diverse view in the boardroom, you, you miss a significant opportunity and you can't rely on someone else to have that voice. Now, one, one of the difficulties is you don't want to be perceived as um, people say a one trick pony. The only time you speak up in the boardroom is on diversity issues or issues of people of color. I think you have to be a well-rounded board member, but when that moment shows up for you, you have to speak out. You have to talk about why it's important to have a different voice in the room, why it's important to bring the African-American experience into the room, the African-American consumer experience, if you're on a consumer board, the African-American view from a C-suite. Uh, all of those are very important to boards. And if we don't use our voice to talk about that, we miss a significant opportunity and we do ourselves a disservice. Women have no difficulty talking about the experience of women in, in corporate America and in the boardroom. 
we as African-Americans have to be, have those the same conviction to talk about those issues, even if it's unpopular or uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and this is an interesting time because you know, of the past year, because of um, you know, the George Floyd tragedy, because of the renewed emphasis on DEI, especially as it relates to uh, Black Americans, that you know, this is a time where we need to, um, well, you know, in terms of our reporting, uh, we've been told to really double down on the issues of equity and, um, and use all of our positions and our, um, especially those people in power, especially those people in the board, to try to make the organizations, the corporations more expansive, more inclusive, and to use all the talent to its avail. Yeah, this has been a very interesting time. I've seen a real shift in the board conversations about diversity and talent, and in particular around African-Americans. You know, for I'm, the, the boards in which I serve, all of them have been committed to trying to have a diverse culture with inside their organizations and on the board. There is a heightened awareness today, though. There's a, there's a greater determination to find quality candidates to join boards. There's a quality, there's a higher quality and commitment to finding diverse talent in their corporations, including metrics that measure people's performance, which has often been a missing element. We talk about trying to find people of color to join boards or to find people of color to add to the talent pool. But oftentimes we don't hold people accountable if they don't do a good job there. I see a real shift there where, as I said earlier, metrics are now being applied against people's performance if they are not being successful in diversifying the people in which work for them. That's a real shift. Uh, and my hope is that that's now a permanent shift. But again, as an African-American board member, I have to remind people that it has to be more than just conversation. It has to be real action if we're going to do this. Well, you know, I, you know today I come with some um, encouraging news uh, for a change. You know, as you may know, uh, every year Black Enterprise does a report on, um, you know, the Black representation on, on corporate boards, uh, with, with the exception of last year because of, uh, you know, the, uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, and since we started this um, review of the S&P 500, when we started, it was roughly 40% of the S&P 500. And as we're going about to release our new report, it is now 80% of the S&P 500 that has at least a single Black board member. Uh, it's, you know, and, and that's been due to the fact that there's been a great deal of focus on corporate governance, on diversifying boards. Uh, what's, what's interesting is the numbers have expanded, but there's an element that I'd like you to talk about is um, there's also a greater emphasis on recycling you know, <laughs> Black board members more so than other groups. Uh, do you think that as we see this expansion, we're going to see more uh, newer board members uh, younger board members and board members that come from different disciplines. So many of the boards focus on, you know, former CEOs, CEOs, CFOs. But are we going to see an expansion in terms of the uh, the talent pool as it, rel um, as it relates to boards as well? 
Well, for, for, first of all, Eric, if we don't start bringing new younger board members in, those of us that are older are going to age out and they're going to have a, a real gap here. I do feel that at least I can the experience with the boards that I currently serve, that there's a greater effort to expand the universe, to find younger board members, to not just focus on C-suite uh, CEOs, frankly, or CFOs but to find people who run large divisions of major corporations. If, if we just focused our attention on African-American men and women who are in CFO and CEO roles, that's a very small group. It's a growing group, fortunately, but it's a very small group. So we have to expand our horizon, just like we did when women were given their first opportunity. You know, large companies with large division leaders who've got large P&Ls, people who bring diverse medical experience to the to, to companies. So we we can expand, we need to expand, and I'm happy to say, at least in the boards in which I currently serve, we are expanding the horizon. But that's where the voice in the room really matters, Derek. If you're in the room, you can say, African-Americans are in these leadership roles in these companies. You can do your own research. You don't have to rely on the search firm. You can say, these are people that I either know, have experienced, or, or know of, and they're in major roles that in some cases are bigger jobs than CEOs of smaller companies. That's where you use your voice. That's where you apply the pressure, and that's where the experience will change for everybody. Well, I think today, um, one of the, um, uh, the great areas of focus and the great areas of discussion as we're looking at expanding the talent pool is that we don't have to worry about a pipeline issue anymore. I mean, I know it's raised, but there is plenty of uh, black talent out there across the board. And as I talk to corporate leaders such as yourself, they say that now the focus has to be an access issue and it has to be an acknowledgement of that talent and also more expansive thinking from corporations, especially given the changing dynamics of the business world. That's exactly right. And I couldn't agree with you more on that. I'm gonna give you, I'll tell you a quick story. So this morning, uh, I uh, recommended a, a, a person for a board opportunity, small new board, uh, two or $3 billion, which is the greatest way to get started in, in board service, frankly, smaller corporations, you know, where you can learn, make some mistakes and move forward. I recommended a person for this board. Unfortunately, they couldn't accept the role. That leader called, that board leader called me again and said, that candidate was so terrific. Do you know any other people like this individual? So I gave them a list of four other people that I thought could fill the role. Now they come from very diverse backgrounds. You know, a couple of African-American females, a couple of African-American males, all of which, you know, not taking credit from me, but all of those individuals would not have been considered in the past because their roles were non-traditional. Well, I think that, we, we have to look at non-traditional roles if we're gonna do this well. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, now we're starting to see um, on boards, you know, uh, multiple uh, numbers of, you know, black board members. And that goes to, you know, not only that you're looking to diversify on a racial basis, you're looking to diversify on business experience, you know, on, you know, their, um, their, their judgment, you know, diversity of thought, innovation, what have you. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing when you look at a company like American Express, you know, out of their 15 member board, five members are um, African-American, you know, and that was, you know, unheard of just, you know, a couple of years ago. 
Oh, absolutely. I know one of the latest additions to that board, and she's a terrific, uh, she's a terrific uh, board member and sitting CEO. The world has changed. Our voice is louder. We just have to always use it in that board when we're going to be successful in bringing more people of color into opportunities. You know, I'm very excited about what the next decade looks like, given the experiences that we're having today. I just hope we don't lose our momentum. And the only way we're going to really lose our momentum is if we go silent. Yeah. In, in that boardroom every day. And I don't expect that to really be a problem going forward. You know, I, I tell people now that the the attention that the boards are giving to people of color, in particular African-Americans, is unique today. And we have to strike while the iron is hot. And if we find qualified candidates, particularly younger qualified candidates, their tenure will be for the next decade to 20 years. And think about that. That's a hell of a lot of influence over that next uh next two decades. Well, you know, where the millennials are and where Gen X are from an age standpoint and experience standpoint is where you were when you started your board service. So that's exactly right. So we get a, you know, we'll get a real opportunity, as you said, to have, you know, 20, 25 years of, you know, experienced corporate leadership that's going to help drive, um, you know, global business, but also to help bring in an influx of new board members as they bring in their protégés and identify others that can fill these roles. And, and those new board members will help assist in, in finding more individuals of colors to be in the CEO roles too. You know, one of the beauties about being on a, on a board is that you hire and sometimes fire the CEO. And if you can find qualified you know, young talent who, are, who, who that are moving through C-suites with real roles, and they, they are very effective in those roles, that gives you another reservoir of CEO candidates for which we, while we're on those committees, can talk about giving those individuals opportunities just like we have for others along the way. That's the exciting thing for me. I've now been through four CEO searches. Oh, great. Right, right. and in each of those cases, we had African-American candidates, both male and females. Not everyone ascended to those roles, but certainly one of my roles is pretty, pretty visible when Marvin Ellison became the CEO of Lowe's. That was a terrific search, I thought. We had great talent in that search, and Marvin became the leader and has done a remarkable job for us. But being in the room, being able to have that conversation, insisting on that the slate of candidates be diverse makes a big difference. Yeah, I was going, you know, that was an area that I'm glad you raised because as we're seeing this, um, this real uh, sea change in terms of corporate governance and the diversifying of the boards, you know, the real challenge now is the C-suite, including the CEO's uh, the CEO position. I mean, right now, in terms of the nation's largest publicly traded corporations, there are fewer Black CEOs in those large publicly traded companies than say 20 years ago. And, um, you know, what will change the equation? Will it be the, you know, the conversations of making sure you have a diverse slate? But how do you go from the process of interview, selection, uh, interview, and um, review to selection? Because that's where it seems like that's where the challenge is. We have the talent, but we're not seeing a, a large selection of uh, Black CEOs um, at those levels. 
Uh, Derek, there's probably lots of elements here that we're going to have to work our way through, but one of those is discomfort from our colleagues. Mm. You know, it's funny. I, again, I just went through a search where we were committed to having, uh, this is a non-public company. We were committed to having a search that included women and, and African-Americans and other people of color in that search. We got down to the end where we had two strong candidates, one internal, one external. One happened to be African-American male who had a terrific background. The discomfort that was on display from some of my colleagues on that board about selecting an African-American was palpable, unfortunately. And you, that's where, again, the voice matters, where you have to, it wasn't just me, it was a couple of us who had to speak up and talk about what's the criteria we were using to select the person. And if that race was not an issue, hmm. who would you select here? And, uh, and, and, and we ended up selecting an African-American because we were in the room to have that uncomfortable conversation. It was a difficult conversation to have. And it, and it made some folks uncomfortable because they had to get past some of their own issues about making decision-making have making a decision that was different from the decisions they had typically made in their lives. It's, um, you know, it's still, you know, it's, it's still amazing to me, the, the fact that you have that level of discomfort where you're dealing with um, individuals who've dealt with global situations, you know, individuals who have dealt with leaders around the world. The fact that we've had you know, an African-American as president of the United States. And why, why do we still have that, that, that discomfort? You know, and I know it may sound like a, um, I don't want it to sound like a naive question, but it, it, it still baffles me um, why there is that level of discomfort, especially when you have proven talent. You know, you, you're not, you know, bringing someone to bear that doesn't have a track record of leadership and performance you know, that at the, the core is where they, where you would make that judgment. And then in terms of, you know, fit within the organizations, you usually have talent that's had a range of experience with different organizations and different crises and different situations. You know, Derek, the only thing I can say to that uh, is I think individuals, all we all bring biases to the table. Our life experiences, our choices we've made in our lives are all created a whole series of biases. What I, what I have found is that until you recognize you bring those biases to the table, until you speak to them directly and recognize that they may be there, you have a hard time getting past them. So it doesn't make you racist, but it does make you biased that somebody, if all your choices in life have been, I have selected white males for every role for which I have had an opportunity, that's what you're comfortable with. And when you're outside of that comfort zone, it is a difficult thing for you to get your head around sometimes. So your, your muscle memory goes back to what you're familiar with, right? Just like anyone. But if you become more familiar with the fact that you bring those biases to the table, which is what diversity is all about, right? You can then say, okay, well, yeah, gee, I'm exercising that bias right now. Let me try to get past that bias and understand that this person brings the same quality of skills that somebody else who I'm less familiar with or more familiar with would bring to the table. And that helps. But unless someone calls it out for you sometimes, you don't see it. Well, I, if I extrapolate from your, um, your answer is one of the um, important measures 
of gaining uh, leadership experience and becoming a leader is, um, you know, going, be, becoming uncomfortable, you know, it's getting out of your comfort zone so that you will not have blinders when it comes to making the critical decisions, not only in terms of leadership of an organization, but across a range of different uh, uh, scenarios that, you know, uh, you know, businesses are hit with every day. And, you know, the challenges are always going to be fast and furious, but the more that you've been in situations where you've challenged your comfort zone and overcome them, then I think that will help you become a more critical thinker, if, if I may. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll just give you an example. In everyday business conversation and the way we approach business problems, everybody comes to that with a different experience. We are very comfortable talking about those different experiences from a business standpoint every day. It only stops when we start talking about gender and race often, where we become uncomfortable. You and I had a very different business experience that we might approach a business problem in a very different way. And, but you and I will talk about it. Hey, well, this is what happened when I was running a company, or this is what happened over here in this particular business experience. But it's only when we get to issues of race and gender do we find ourselves having a difficult time talking about those, those experiences in a different way. And until we get comfortable with that, this will always be, a, will be a, uncomfortable for everyone. But it, unless you talk about it, it, never, it, it just continues to perpetuate the, the, uh, what we have experienced all these many years. I am, I am happy to have other African-Americans in the boardroom with me because it takes off a little pressure because we can all do it then. Uh, but I also enlist the experiences of women in those boardrooms, because I have supported lots of women finding roles and opportunities. And I now ask them to step up and commit to the same things we committed to when we we're trying to increase the number of women on boards, when we tried to increase the numbers of African-American men and women on boards as we go forward. And as you mentioned women, now the uh, S&P 500, um, 100% of the S&P 500 has at least a woman on the board, uh, you know, and then in, 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 in some cases, uh, you know, women of color, black women are serving on the board. Correct. Um, I know the time is going fast and I, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but I would be remiss if I don't talk to you about your, um, your board service as it relates to your philanthropic thrust. Uh, you have spent a lot of time in healthcare, um, in terms of you know business, but you've also spent healthcare time in healthcare in terms of your philanthropic pursuits, in terms of your board uh, service on nonprofits, uh, being you know the media past chairman of the uh, American Heart Association. But for you, that experience has been. Uh, one that has been part of your mission in terms of healthcare, but also deeply personal. And I'd, I'd like to, you to share with me the importance of your role as, um, you know, as having been on the board of the American um, Heart Association, as having been chair, and why that is so vital to you and so deeply personal to you. Well, well, Derek, it's very personal to me for a, a variety of reasons, but probably the first and foremost is I lost my dad in his early 50s to heart disease, and I lost my first wife to stroke at age 52. So it makes it very personal to understand that heart disease and stroke are the number one killers of Americans, 
and in particular, African-American men and women. And heart disease is the number one killer of women. Oftentimes, we think other diseases are the number one killer, but actually heart disease. So it's very, very personal to me for that reason. In addition to that, I'm, I'm a big believer that access to health care matters. The social determinants of health are real. And the American Heart Association has, has been at the forefront of that work for a number of years. I've been involved for 20 years. And for every bit of that 20 years, the AHA has stepped up and recognized that access to health care, that where you live can significantly impact your health outcome and that we need to do something about that. Most recently, you asked me about the impact. Most recently, we, we put out a paper, a president, what we call a presidential advisory, on the impact of structural racism on health outcomes in this country. A very bold statement, a statement that a company, an organization like the AHA did not have to step out on. But it was very important for people to recognize that structural racism has a negative impact on health outcomes for African-Americans and other people of color, people uh, who are Native Americans, people who live in rural communities, all of that matters. And that's why I'm so passionate about my, my time at the AHA, which is why I was very happy to serve as chair. I, I, I didn't expect to be in the middle of a pandemic as the chair of the American Heart Association, which was a, an amazing experience for me. If you didn't believe social determinants made a difference before the pandemic, if you don't understand the importance of that after this pandemic, you, you, you have blinders on. It is, it, is, it is impactful beyond anybody's initial recognition. Access to healthcare, what zip code you live in can have a profound impact on your life expectancy. We all see that and we all need to do something about that. That includes corporate boards. So I try to bring that AHA voice or my healthcare voice into those rooms as in addition to uh, the other conversations I have with people. Yeah, we, we make so much, um, and, and obviously it's very important to talk about corporate boards um, and to have that diversity of experience and the, you know, the diversity of um, voices on those boards. But it's just as vital when you're looking at organizations like the American Heart Association and the widespread and 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 you know and global impact that many of these organizations are having, just in terms of ensuring the quality of health for um, people who tend to be um, pushed aside, or tend to be marginalized, or tend to be ignored. Correct. I mean, you know, th there are lots of stories here that I can tell. You know, you can live. You could be in a zip code within a two mile uh, radius of another zip code and have a 20 year life expectancy difference in a city in the United States. 20 years. And you can be within five miles of that next zip code. That's a powerful statement and a powerful understanding of how access to care, quality of care, access to healthcare coverage. Right. Getting to see your physician on a regular basis, knowing your numbers, as we talk about in the AHA, what's your what's your uh, blood pressure? Uh, all of those things really matter in life expectancy. And uh, I was just reading an article today that COVID has reduced the life expectancy for all Americans by one and a half years. 
uh, in the last uh, 24 months and in, in, in communities of color, almost twice that. So you're already starting with a deficit and now this has added another deficit and the residual impact of this is gonna be felt for quite some time. And, and, and particularly for those individuals who have heart disease or high blood pressure, COVID has had a devastating effect on those individuals, which is why you have a higher death rate in communities of color as a result. You know, this is a serious problem. That's why I'm committed to it. Social determinants of health are real and we all must be aware of that. And again, when you bring, you bring all of yourself into a boardroom. When I go into a board meeting, I bring all of me. Yeah, sometimes that's great. Well, sometimes not so great, but I bring it all to the boardroom. And, if, and I can't, when I'm in a meeting talking about healthcare on one of the healthcare companies, I can't ignore the social determinants of health and not talk about that to help enlighten my fellow board members, but also to inspire the company itself to, do, to add more value in that space. Well, Bert, I, I'm glad that you, um, you shared, you know, your journey in that respect. Um, I'm, I'm very, you know, um, pleased that we, we had this, this, com this conversation because I think you shared the fact that, you know, beyond your experience on the business side, you have to bring, you know, your authentic self to the boardroom, share those experiences because those have an impact on, you know, employees, investors, customers, and other stakeholders within the company. And then as you look at more nonprofit board service, it has a direct bearing on making sure that everyone is included as you're looking to the solutions of some of these uh, major, you know, um, public health, uh, economic, and, and social challenges. So um, I thank you for being here and, and, and sharing your experiences. I know that we didn't get through everything that we wanted to, to talk about, but you know, you're coming back. <laughs> well, that's great. I've, I really enjoy this. If invited back, I will come back. Uh, this has been great. Thank you for giving this opportunity. I, I, part of my time in, in life is to, to give back to future board members, future C-suite executives. And this gives me an opportunity to do that. So I want to thank you and Black Enterprise for giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Bert. Uh, with this interview, you've um, helped so many people who are seeking board service and, and those who needed to gain a better understanding of the importance of board service. Thank you for being a part of Boardroom Chat. Thank you.